Our Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the work on the cross. Thank you for the redemption. Thank you for the substitutionary death that you have taken our place for sinners like us. And because of that, as we come to, to you in confession and receive you as our personal Savior, we are reconciled with the Heavenly Father. Our sins are forgiven. We have the privilege to be children of God. We are so grateful for that privilege, and we will never take that for granted. And today, as we remember that again, Father, we pray that you will reaffirm it in our hearts, our commitment to Jesus Christ. We ask you to forgive our sins and bless our time as we remember the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take up your elements, peel off the top, and take up the bread. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Let us eat together to remember the Lord. Now let us peel off the another layer for the cup. The Bible says in the same way, after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you again for your love, again for your grace and for your kindness. Help us to continue to anchor in the love of Christ, in the grace of God, as we press on by faith and not by sight. Allow us to grow deep in you. Help us to walk with Jesus every day, even though the future is uncertain. But as long as Christ sits on the throne, as long as our God reigns, Lord, we'll be able to press on. Thank you, Lord, for this time of remembering together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Terrence will come and make the announcement in pastoral prayer. What a wonderful way to conclude a Thanksgiving week, especially as we have been seeing baptisms in our midst, to be reminded of our collective faith in Christ through the Lord's Supper. Thank you for partaking with us here in person and all of you who are participating with us online. We're reminded that our unity and our identity is primarily in what Jesus has done for us, not in who we are in and of ourselves. So we come grateful and we come humble. Last week, we had the privilege of baptizing uh, two high school sisters, Alana Lowe and Verena Ko. So we're excited for them. Uh, we're grateful for God's work in their lives. And next week, we have one more baptism. So if you want to join us, uh, please go ahead and register using the link that is in the bulletin. Next week, also, we have our annual business meeting. And this is an important one, as you know, for the end of the year to look into next year. And so there will be information sent to you guys via email this week, those of you who are members, to be able to read through and to be able to access the meeting online. 
And for those of you that are interested in meeting or attending who aren't members, uh, there's a contact for you uh, if you want to consider that option as well. As we look towards the month of December, uh, we have a few events that are coming up that are uh, wonderful ways for our church family and friends to gather. There is the Christmas art celebration for all children first and fifth grade. It's online and registration information is in your digital bulletin. By the way, if you didn't receive the email or you didn't know where to click for the digital bulletin, in the bulletin you receive in person, there's a QR code at the bottom of the front page that allows you to access the digital bulletin and all the announcements that I'm seeing here. This week, we were able to participate, some of us, in Operations Christmas Child at the Processing Center. And I wanted to share this because I want you guys to know that the boxes that we helped to package will be going towards the Ukraine. So we want to be praying for these boxes to arrive at the Ukraine safely. And it was a joy to be able to use our hands to be able to uh, support this ongoing ministry. And finally, uh, we have the open registration for CMC Global 2020. Our church has purchased a block of tickets. And so if you want to uh, get in on this and participate, please go ahead and reach out to Galen Young, and we'll be able to furnish you the information that's needed for you to be able to join with us online. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord now in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much, God, for this time that we have together. We don't take it for granted that we could gather in person and virtually around your word, around the Lord's Supper, around the praises of your saints, around the prayers that are offered up to you in complete dependence and surrender because we know that you are God who has saved us. You are the God who is sovereign, and you are the God who makes the way for us, for our families, for our communities, and for our country out of all kinds of quagmire and obstacles, especially in the midst of this pandemic. And so, Lord, we want to pray, Father, that you continue to grow our faith in you, even as we show love to our neighbors in our words and actions. And we do pray, Father, for you to bring about the development of a vaccine, that you would bring about the development of safety and communities that look out for each other, that you would also bring healing for those who are sick and comfort for those of us who are either in the front lines or have lost loved ones or are wrestling with all of these issues deeply in the home. Father, we also know, Father, with Thanksgiving, that it's a time in which we celebrate with people, but this year it is different than many years past. And so, God, we pray for many of us who may be wrestling with solitude or depression or just what it's like having to have this change in the midst of the holidays. We pray, Father, that you would be our comfort and encouragement and that we would turn to your people, the church, the church family, and be a part of the people that are here so that we're able to stay in touch, receive prayer, uh, be able to share, and also be able to walk together. Father, may you be the one that satisfies uh, the, the yearnings and the desires in our hearts and allow that to be experienced in the midst of your people. Father, we also want to pray, Father, for those in our midst with various needs, whether it's finances during this time, whether it's being able to uh, manage work and children in the home, whether it is with upcoming procedures and health needs and recovery that are ahead of us or we are recovering from behind us. We ask God just for your provision and for your complete healing. And we look, Lord, for you to be the one that we give thanks to in the midst of all this. And may we not forget your simple mercies to us, as well as your extravagant grace to us in everyday things and in seasons of life. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could rally around the gospel, that we could come before your throne of grace, and that we would engage in your goodness through hearing the preaching of your word. We pray that you would open up our years, soften our hearts, and move us together as your people 
into obeying your commands with your joy and also with your freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's a joy to gather this post-Thanksgiving Sunday. <clears throat> if you live in L.A. County, you know that tomorrow we're in another safer home. But by God's grace, the statement is very clear that churches can continue outdoor services. Now, um, I want to encourage you, especially Splash Zone over here, my beloved, uh, to make sure that we uh, keep our, our physical distance to the best of our ability uh, and to keep our face masks on, not as any political statement or not because we buy into any false narrative, but because we know that um, how COVID has developed, that though many will survive and be okay, uh, some, you might not have serious symptoms, but there are a few, uh, and there are, there are those who are more susceptible, and unknowingly, they can get really sick, so we want to love our neighbor. And, uh, you know, they, they use that phrase, safer at home. I really do believe you're safer at church. You're safer at church, but... We want to make sure you're safer at church. And the reason why we believe you're safer at church is because we have more protocol, spaced out parking spaces, face masks required more than supermarkets and other places that you would encounter people. And so we want to make sure that if you are traveling about to the restroom that you do get your temperature checked. We do want to make sure, I know that only does so much, but we want to make sure that we're following every protocol possible uh, so that we can uh, love one another well and make sure that all of us are healthy and that way uh, we could continue to worship without ever shutting down uh, three uh, it's these aren't my rules <laughs> health department rules there's three and by law we must report so three positive tests we got to report and at that point I don't know why three is a break uh, is an outbreak and we got to shut this down so I'm going to ask this group especially uh, over here and in the courtyard to make sure you maintain social distance. Breaks my heart to have to say this. I believe you are safer at church. I do believe that uh, we do need fellowship. I do believe that seeing people face-to-face -face matters when mental health is on an uptick because that's how we were created, to see each other face-to-face, -to, -face, to be able to have conversation, right, not to be cooped up in your homes. My heart and our pastoral staff, our heart also breaks for Many of you LA County restaurant owners and small business owners, uh, you are part of our church family and we know you're impacted and you've worked so hard to move everything outdoors to maintain whatever percentage they limited at. And now for another three weeks, we understand, we understand what it's like. We understand this could take out a loan, may not keep you afloat. And so we wanna let you know that we're praying for you. Uh, I do encourage our church members, uh, again because we are a community church to uh, go and find those small restaurants uh, that do take out uh, not the big chain ones and try to support them because we are part of this community try to support those businesses try to uh, help them and if you're able to strike up a conversation let them know that you represent Jesus Christ I think we need to stand together in unity as a church we're one of the larger churches in our community, and there is a stewardship that we're called to. 
So that's why we are called to love our neighbors. We are called not to be reckless. At the same time, we are called to not just, uh, not just uh, you know, stay within and protect ourselves, but if we're able to, to go out and to bless the community in other ways. In today's sermon, I, I will try to talk about ways we need to be creative to continue to be the body because the context calls for it. So this is my call for you. For those of you worshiping at home, we want to tell you that we love you more than you know, and you know that. And so we continue to work hard to make sure that our technology is up to par so we can continue to deliver these live streams as well as the, the on-demand post-recording afterwards. We understand that you may be at home because you want to protect your older parents or you, are, you yourself are susceptible or you have re really, really young children. And so we love you. We never want you to feel like you're uh, not part of the family. So please keep contact with us. Thank you for sticking with us. I sound like an airline, but I, you, we know on Sunday morning you have a lot of streaming choices uh, with other churches. But thank you for sticking with us. I want to say flying with us, but, you know, thank you for sticking with us on that. Title of uh, this morning's sermon is You Can't Cheat the Test of Fire. Cheating abounds in our fallen world. People can cheat in all types of races, all types of competitions, all types of financial situations to get ahead in our fallen world. But when it comes to physical buildings, when it comes to the materials that you would use for construction, there's one test you cannot cheat. You cannot cheat the test of fire. We know this. There are some materials like gold uh, that are refined by fire. There are other materials that are costly, like precious stone, that can withstand the test of fire. But there are other combustible materials. And again, most of our homes are built with wood. And so this is natural. But when you're talking about the context that Paul's going to, he's talking about this illustration of the temple. And the temple, the Jewish temple, was built with gold and precious stones. And the Bible gave real clear instructions. And so symbolically, he's saying there are some materials that are very costly, in fact, it may be too costly for most of our homes. But when, it, when the fire comes, these materials will not burn. And he takes that physical example and he puts it to a spiritual metaphor of the church. Every member of the church is part of a spiritual temple. And the quality of our Christian service, the quality of how we exercise our gift, not quantity, but the quality of how we invest our time, talents, and treasures into the spiritual body of Christ will be tested one day by fire. And so if you have God's word, will you please take it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we're going to pick up where we left off last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Point number one this morning is the foundation of Christian service, and we see this in verses 10 to 11. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Let me read to you verses 10 to 11. I'm reading out of the ESV, the elect standard version. I mean the English standard version. And so uh, the ESV says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
So it's very clear that the foundation of any work that any Christian, not just Christian leader, but any Christian, this applies to all Christians, any of our service, the foundation must be Christ. Now, for us, we look at that and we use the colloquialism, well, no duh, pastor, you're not telling us anything new. But there was a problem in Corinth, and we've kind of introduced this already several times, I'll just give you by way of review, that the Corinthians were divided over many issues, uh, spiritual gifts being one of them, but one of the issues that they were divided over were following their favorite Christian servant or favorite Christian leader. Now, this is no surprise to us today. We all have affinity with certain Christian leaders that are speaking to the issues or maybe their personality matches ours and we enjoy what they talk about or how they carry themselves or how they preach, how they lead, how they serve. And maybe we share a similar background to them. Well, this is, this is no different. And so for, for, for the Corinthians, some of them, they, they loved Paul's theology. It was Paul's theology that they clung to, and they said, we are of Paul. And there were others who loved Apollos' powerful rhetoric and preaching. And so they said, we love Apollos because of his preaching. And others, they loved Peter's traditionalism, or more specifically, his brand of Messianic Judaism. His, he was a Messianic Jew uh, of, the first, of the first century Christian church. And so the more traditionalist, maybe from a Jewish background, said, this is our guy, Peter. This is our, this is our guy, the person that, was, uh, that, that Jesus said, upon his confession, we will build the church. And so you can see they were divided that way. And Paul reminds them that each of these things are good. Apollos' preaching is used for the kingdom of God. Paul's theology is sound doctrine. right? It is sound. It is necessary. Peter's foundational preaching of the gospel was necessary. But they all build upon the ultimate foundation, which is Christ. Now you look back in verse 10, it says, By the grace of God given to him. Now Paul refers to himself as a skilled master builder. This is not a proud statement. He's not saying, I am... I am so skilled. I'm so masterful. He, he prefaces this by saying, by the grace of God. Everything that Paul does for Christ and in the name of Christ the King is by the grace of God that is given to him, granted to him. We already know in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, that Paul says that his preaching was not of secular skill or secular wisdom or of man's secular power. It was of the Spirit's power. So that's what he means, that everything that Paul is doing here is referring to the grace of God working through him. And so he says he carefully laid the proper foundation. What he's talking about here is church planning, right? He's talking about his work as a foundational builder, as a church planter. He went in there, and he's not saying that he's better than everybody else. He's not saying, hey, this is my territory. I started this. Right? He's saying that he laid the foundation. That was his call. Remember his call. It was very clear. Peter was an apostle to the Jews, and there were other apostles who went elsewhere. And Paul was specifically given a mission, saying, Paul, you who persecuted the church, you being a former zealous Pharisee, you're going to go be a missionary to the Gentiles. You're going to the nations. And so he went into these Gentile cities, these Greco-Roman 
powerhouses, these Greco-Roman uh, metropolises like Corinth. And he laid the foundation of the gospel and planted the church in Corinth. Now, he makes clear in verse 11, he says that no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, meaning nobody can go into any city or anywhere and lay a proper foundation for Jesus' church if they are not proclaiming the gospel. So that's very clear. That's point number one. Okay, The foundation, the foundation of all Christian service, regardless of who is serving, is Christ. Now, point number two is the quality of Christian service. So we've seen... Point number one, the foundation of Christian service. Point number two, the quality of Christian service. And we see this in verses 12 to 15. Verse 12 to 15, I'm reading to you once again from the ESV. It says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, so these are all possible ways you could build a, a physical structure, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So this was what I explained in the opening introduction, that there are different materials that you can choose to build with. Now remember, once again, that we're talking not about quantity of service, but quality of service. Quantity of service does matter too, but it's really the quality because everyone is different. Everyone has different gifts. Everyone has a different context in life in, in terms of what you're able to do. So let me clarify a few things. First off, Paul's uh, here, he's talking about Christians. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's not talking about false teachers here. He's not talking about uh, people who are against Christ. Okay, he's talking about two types, generally two types of Christian leaders and Christian servants in general. So all of you, all of us together. And it's very clear, he says, if anyone builds on the foundation... A false teacher does not build on the right foundation. A non-Christian who comes into the church to deceive the church does not build upon the, the right foundation. These are talking about believers. He's talking about any genuine believer who builds upon the foundation of Christ. So if you build upon the foundation of Christ, you can choose what type of quality you want to invest. That might include time. That might include your developing skills. That might include resources. So all of that... All of that is included, right? The second thing that we need to clarify is that we're talking about quality. Um, notice that it says the works will be burned, not the workers. Right? It's not the workers. So you're not going to be burned for poor, poor service. But this is the quality, the quality of your service. Your service, if it's poor quality, it will burn. Right? It will burn. And so uh, gold, silver, precious stones... Costly buildings will, uh, costly building materials will, will remain. Wood, hay, and straw would be the ones that are combustible when tested by fire, right? So I want you to notice that uh, because it's quality, that there are some who may serve a lot but for the wrong motives. When you get to heaven and you come before the Lord, those motives will be revealed, right? Are we serving out of the love, love for Christ? And others, or are we serving for our own self-worth and our reputation? Now, notice that it's not black and white. If you spend your entire life serving in the church for your own motives, you're not a believer. You're going to burn in a different way. That, that, that is very evident elsewhere in the New Testament. But, but for all of us, there's going to be times where we're tempted. 
there's going to be times where we're serving and we wish that we would get praise for it. We know it's wrong, but we want to be appreciated, right? That's everyone. That's everybody. And then the Spirit convicts us and we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. My motivation needs to be for the right reason. Other times we want to serve because we love serving and then we complain. We complain about difficult people. We complain about, oh man, nobody helps. We complain about how much, how tedious it is. But then the Lord convicts us and we say, oh yeah. Right? And, and then we begin to serve with the right motive. So there are seasons in life where we struggle. And the times where we're serving with the wrong motives, whatever work we invested, it may burn. But there are other times where our motives are right, where the Spirit gets a hold of our hearts, and we, be, we will see the fruit of our ministry. Right? So this is not so much a black and white thing, because you're talking about genuine believers, and genuine believers struggle, and genuine believers mature. Right? So this morning, I hope that you receive this message with hope, that you can always mature. You can always grow in your service. You can always grow in your stewardship. You can always say, you know what, I haven't invested a lot in God's kingdom, and now's the time. And be creative during this pandemic season in, in terms of asking the Lord to show you how you can do better, right? There are, there are others where there's certain seasons in life where, where here's why I say it's not about quantity. Because there are certain seasons in life where you can't serve much. What comes to mind right away is the single parents. Maybe there's some of you listening, watching, or hear your single parent trying to raise your kids and balance a full-time job. And so the most you can do is attend your community group or small group. And on your commutes or maybe in the early morning or at night or as you're washing the dishes or doing the laundry, the best you can do is pray. It's to fervently pray, sometimes with tears, for your community group members, your small group members. And then you look at the Lord and you say, Lord, I, I can't do much. I can't go to church and do much. And the Lord says, I see your heart. It's not about the quantity. It's the quality, right? And so for, for, for you, you got to look at your context. Some of you, you're not able to do a lot because, because of a certain context and situation in your life. And God knows. But then there are others, and I'll get back to this a little more. There are others where you may be investing a lot of time or resources in other things. They may be good things, on a worldly scale, not necessarily sinful in and of themselves. But God looks at you and says, you know, you're not stewarding the gifts that I've given you. You're not stewarding, and you do have time, and you do have talents, and you do have treasure, but you're using it on other, other things, other means, other people. And so, so if you do that, then you get to heaven, and the Lord says, what have you done? Right. And so, and so I'll get to that. So let's look at let's look at verse 14. OK, verse 14, it says, if the work that anyone has has built on the foundation survives the test, he will receive a reward. Now, what's the reward? It's very clear that if the work is tested, it doesn't burn. You will receive a reward. Here's the hard part exegetically is that Paul does not tell us what these rewards are. Even in other places in Scripture where it mentions a symbolic crown or it talks about a certain type of reward, it doesn't really tell you what that is, right? Because all rewards would be attributed back to Christ. 
It's not like anybody's going to walk around uh, in heaven. I mean, look at chapter 1, chapter 2. It talks about boasting only in Christ. It's not like people are going to be walking around heaven and saying, look at my rewards. I'm so much better than you. Right? I earned it. Salvation is not by works. Right? What about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross has no rewards. No rewards. Right? He had no time to do any good works. Jesus said today, you will be with me in paradise. What is his reward? His reward is Christ. Ultimately, the reward is Christ. Ultimately, whatever rewards they are, they will be presented and laid at the foot of Christ. So ultimately, we need to do a little bit of cross-referencing to find out what these rewards symbolize, what they might be. So we'll start with Paul, or, or all of these are Paul. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. If you have your Bibles, you can look there with me. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul refers to the Thessalonians. Remember, the context is investing in people, right? The context is people's maturity, the maturity of the church. And so he refers to the Thessalonians as his hope, his joy, and crown of boasting. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians he boasts in Christ, right? He does not boast in himself, but, but he says they are his crown of boasting. So what does that mean? He's boasting in their growth in Christ, their coming to Christ, their maturity in Christ. They're holding, they're holding to the faith through trials and tribulation. And they are his glory and joy. Scholar, New Testament scholar David Garland explains that Paul's hope is fixed on the return of Christ when his work will be appraised, tested by fire, which should produce joy. Garland continues, the crown Paul looks forward to is the blamelessness of the Thessalonians who would be presented mature in Christ, end quote. And what Paul means by this is that he knows the Thessalonians would suffer persecution and heartache. And when he gets to heaven, he may not see the Thessalonians during his lifetime. Paul, at a certain point, is going to pass away. He's going to be persecuted, arrested, persecuted, executed. But when he gets to heaven, he's going to be like, hey, you made it. You made it too. You persevered in Christ. Not because Paul was great. right? That's what he's talking about, his boasting, is that Paul invested, preached the right gospel, did everything he could in his part. He played his, he ran his leg of the race, handed off the baton. The Holy Spirit continued the work of sanctification in the heart of the Thessalonians. And his joy is seeing the fruit of his ministry in heaven. His joy, before he gets to heaven, is hearing the good news. Hearing the good news of the gospel, but hearing the news passed to him as he's in prison, reading the letter and saying, the Thessalonians, they are persevering despite persecution. When I hear, when our pastors hear that our church continues to meet in groups, that our church continues to uh, strive for in their faith despite being scattered, that brings us a lot of joy. You are our crown and joy, right? It's people. It's the investment in people. So what is the reward? The reward is people being saved, people persevering, people seeing people in heaven because of the little or the lot that Jesus did through you and in you because you invested your gifts. You prayed for people. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Paul wrote... 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in the church. What have you done in the church, whether good or evil? Right? You will receive what is due to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Paul refers to the, uh, to the Philippians maintaining their faith as a type of reward in the day of Christ. Let me read to you what Paul says. Philippians 2, verse 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, so when Christ appears, I may be proud. Paul, you're not supposed to be proud. But this is a good type of proud. He says that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's his reward, that he preached the gospel. He preached the hard truth. He taught sound doctrine. Many mocked him. Many rejected him. People were against him. But what was his reward? His reward is that he didn't run in vain because people got saved and his his, uh, the people he invested them, he saw his flock, he would see his flock one day in heaven, that they made it, they persevered. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is Paul's heart. So we can assume that one reward for certain, what's the reward? is quality investment, quality service. Here's the reward for quality service. It is the satisfaction of seeing the fruit of your Christian service, which will be made evident when Christ returns. Now, let me add another bit of contextual application, is that they're arguing over spiritual gifts. And Oftentimes, it's the more upfront gifts to get more praise. And, and they're, they, they love, you know, the great preachers and the great charismatic personalities and certain uh, prophetic gifts and, and, and supernatural manifestations, right? Uh, when you consider the church today, a lot of times who gets the credit uh, are the people up front, the preachers, the pastors, uh, the leaders who are up front, the evangelists, right? They get the credit. But you understand that without people working behind the scenes nobody nobody the message doesn't get out i mean evident for us is is the av team those of you watching at home uh, you wouldn't be hearing this message even before the pandemic you wouldn't hear the sound Uh, not every pastor can scream that loud and so at the end of the day you know (laughs) without people working behind the scenes nobody could hear the preaching of the gospel right uh, there, are, there are some of you, you, you plant a little bit of a seed. You kind of love on somebody. Uh, so, uh, someone else comes around, shares the gospel. Someone else comes around, does a good service. And this non-Christian one day walks into a church, and there's this powerful preacher that's preaching, and they hear the gospel, they get saved, and all the credit goes to the preacher. But in reality, God sees in heaven, and he's going to give a reward. That it's the fruits of all the people, the ushers, the security team, uh, people working, working, all of you who serve in so many ways, the prayer warriors, praying for pastors and servants and leaders. Uh, there's so much, that I can't even list and name them off, right? But there's so many of you serving behind the scenes. And so God looks at the quality, 
even if you're behind the scenes. And he sees all of it. He sees all of it. That you have to find, you need to discover your spiritual gift. And you need to develop that spiritual gift. That's what he calls you to do. He doesn't call everybody to be this upfront, powerful preacher evangelist. He calls you to, to develop with skill and creativity the gift that he's given you. And then he calls you to deploy that gift, right? To exercise that gift. The Spirit deploys you to exercise that gift for the upbuilding of your local body. That's also why you need to commit to a church, right? You don't, I mean, one of the things being a guest speaker sometimes is I can say a bunch of things and then leave. I don't got to shepherd them. I don't got to counsel them. I don't got to do anything. I can even offend all of them and say, sorry, thank you for inviting me. And I just leave and they never invite me again. But it's their pastor that has to deal with them. You see, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have spiritual gifts. But if you just float around to a different church every single week, or if you just log on and watch a different stream every single week, there, there's no upbuilding into the body. Same thing for preachers that just move around everywhere. Yeah, we play our part. But that is why... My favorite pulpit is always the one inside the Mac back here. The old one. The new one, I love it. It's a little short. The old one was a little higher. This is also a little man's pulpit here. But I love that. Wherever we preach, there is no pulpit like preaching to your own people who know you. They know when you're being fake. They know when you're tired. They know when, you're, when, when, you're, when you're, your jokes aren't falling. You know, they, they know when, when they heard the same message a hundred times. They don't laugh at your jokes anymore. You really got to shepherd people. At the end of the day, guys, you have to commit to a local body. So if you're listening here and uh, you're not part of FCBC, you know, we're not the only church. You need to find the church for you where you can be part of a member of the body and exercise your part right because that's what you'll be judged for that's what's going to be put to the test are you developing your gift are you investing or are you investing in other areas right your resources in contrast let, let me point you to back to first corinthians chapter 3 verse 15 it says if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss i'm going to explain what that loss is though he himself will be saved but only as through fire that's crazy. That's crazy. So you're going to be a piece of Korean barbecue, but you'll be in heaven. Okay? You're going to be that samgyup son, right? And, well, I, I'm saying it wrong. For those of you who are Korean, I'm not Korean. But I love that, 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 you know, that pork that you can burn it really well, that pig, that pig belly, whatever you call it. You're going to be that in heaven. No, that's not what it's saying. L let me show you what it's saying. You read it very carefully. This is the Christian, the believer. If anyone's work is burned up. This is a Christian. He will suffer loss. There will be loss. There's nobody that's going to be homeless in heaven that's, that, that's going to be like, okay, I'm not ashamed of this. I barely made it. I, I, I invested the minimum. Right? There's loss. Okay? Though he himself will be saved. You'll be saved, but only as through fire. There's going to be shame. Not the type where you're so ashamed Everyone sees all of your sin because Christ paid for that. But there's going to be something because that's the only way to understand this metaphor. 
right? Though he himself will be saved, but through fire. So I looked up that phrase in the Greek. What does that mean, but only as through fire? And it's a, it's, it was a popular phrase used in Greco-Roman society. And for us today, it would be similar to saved by the skin of one's teeth. That they, 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 you, were, you were pulled out of the fire in the nick of time while the building was collapsing. Meaning you barely got saved. When I read this, I look at this as, yeah, you know, maybe the thief on the cross. But this is the person who is, I don't know how they are in heaven, nominally by the grace of God. By the grace of God. By the skin of their teeth, they barely made it in. And no crowns to lay before the foot of Christ. But they made it. Their reward is in Christ. In Christ alone. And it's, once again, it's not like they're going to be walking around gnashing their teeth, right? That's not something that happens. There is still joy of being in heaven. But there are rewards, right? And so, so I look at this actually as the pastors, right? Because you look at the context, who maybe weren't as faithful. They were believers. They loved Jesus. But maybe they were afraid to preach the truth. So they're going to be saved. They love Jesus. Sins are confessed. Afraid to preach the truth. Afraid to offend people. They make it to heaven. What loss did they suffer? That maybe some people that they preach to, they realize, man, they're not saved. They're not here. Right? We, we know that's ultimately part of God's sovereignty. But there's loss there. There's, there's actually some pain when you think of that, right? Let me give you some scenarios of, of what this loss is. I've already mentioned a failure to steward our time, talents, and treasure for Christ, right? That's one loss, okay? Um, and you know how sometimes you, you do something and you wish, man, if only I gave that extra hour. If only I, I should have just invested just a little more. I, I could have ran just a little bit harder. I would have ran. I would have won that race. You know, maybe you're running a marathon, right? I, I could have just worked a little harder, and it would have went a long way. I could have just studied a little more. It would have made a difference, right? So, so there are going to be people in heaven thinking that, thinking this. Okay, that's one. The second one, I'm going to go into a little bit deeper. Okay, uh, if we don't get to point number three uh, this week. We're going to punt that to next week, okay? Now, this one, this is not just pastors. Uh, so I, I do want to say that, but this is every Christian leader. This second one is a failure to speak the truth when necessary. And this is of utmost importance for anybody who is ministering to the emerging generation. We are in a generation and generations to come where uh, you will be canceled for being politically uh, for not being politically correct. Uh, you will be judged for speaking the truth that is not popular. Uh, people will leave your church. People will leave your small group. People will leave your community group. Uh, you may fear that your church will die because uh, maybe there is a generation that won't come because you hold certain traditional views. And you will be tempted as a Christian leader and a Christian servant, whether or not you want to align with a certain church or, or whether or not you want to hold firm to sound doctrine. Right? And, and so this is more of a reality. Let me give you a few examples. Sometimes you just want to be nice. And maybe sometimes you don't want to deal with people's mess, so you want to take the easier way out. Okay? Let me 
show you what loss would look like. The easy one is when you share the gospel and, you're, and you're, you yourself, so again, you yourself are a believer. You won't burn. Your work will be. Your work will burn, right? And you'll suffer loss. Uh, but you don't want to mention hell. You don't want to mention sin. And so the people you're sharing with, maybe they think they're saved, but they're not. Or maybe they never come around to repenting. Right? That's an easy one, uh, an example. Another one is that someone comes to you and says, hey, look, our marriage is really difficult. They're a difficult situation. And secular society says, well, just get divorced. There, and then there's even Christian counselors that will say, hey, it just seems easier for you to get divorced. What are you going to say? Well, if you tell them to stay married, you've got to walk with them through it. You've got to pick up that phone call. You've got to deal with it. You've got to see the heartache. You've got to see how painful it is. It's almost easier just to tell them, you know what, you guys are better off just separating, right? And the world would back you up. The world would back you up. The hard thing is to say, no, you should stay together. What reward can you see? Well, as they fight through, you might see that they grow in Christ. And there's an immediate reward there in this lifetime. Then you get to heaven, and you've got to answer to the Lord. But you, hopefully you can see that they've persevered. This is a reality. This is truth, right? This is truth. And so uh, are we willing to say that divorce is, is that there are a few grounds for divorce? You can go look up my sermon, and I preached a pretty hard one, hard line one on there, but, but that God hates divorce. Are we willing to say that and, and have people hate you, have people leave your church, have people leave your community group, have people say, I don't want to go to FCBC Walnut because Pastor Hanley said this. But are we willing to stand on that? And to say, well, you know what? i got to answer to Christ. Because maybe I, I, t- I tell them, okay, yeah, yeah, you guys go. And then their life gets ruined because of that. Their kids get mad at them. But all kinds of stuff happens. And then they become unbelieving. And their blood is on my pulpit. Or in your small group. Or in your discussion. Or in your council. You'll be saved, but the work is burned. Say someone comes to you and says, and this is popular in our society, says, you know what? We went to get that test. We're pregnant. We went to get that test. And uh, our, our child's going to be born with Down syndrome. And all the doctors said, we got to abort. That's what they would advise for quality of life. And we're looking to you, Pastor, or you, small group leader, or you, Christian, to tell us that that's okay. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Because guess what? If you say abort, you'll have medical community supporting you, and you'll have secular society supporting you. You'll be criticized sometimes for standing up for what you know in your heart is true and right. And I think that society would say, wow, that's great. If we can use abortion just to eliminate Down syndrome forever, You'll never have one born at all. You know what the reward is? The reward is seeing that family struggle, seeing churches surround that family, seeing that child born come to faith, 
come to love Jesus, that child gets to heaven, grown, resurrected body, and says, thank you. Thank you that you didn't abort me. Thank you. You'll be saved, Christian. What will be burned? Right? Sometimes we follow the world. It seems easier. These are hard truths. If we refuse, another example, we refuse to say homosexuality is a sin or that marriage is between one man and one woman or that transgenderism is a sin. We can say these lovingly. We can say these truths winsomely. Remember, we want to win some, not just offend people for the sake of offending people. There are a lot of pastors out there that are straight-up jerks. They don't say it with love. We can say it with love, but we need to say the truth. We need to speak the truth because only the truth will set people free. And so when you're talking,